Welcome to the IonHoops.com podcast with your host, Guy Flotico. Happy New Year, Gale Nation. It's season four, episode 13 of the IonHoops.com podcast, and we've got ourselves a winning streak as non-conference play concludes. Sometimes it takes a village, or at least a well-timed technical, to find a way to the finish line. Maybe someone should call a technical on me with some of these recent episodes I've been doing. Anyway, as we enter the new year, I want to see this podcast continue to grow. So please tell your Iona friends that this exists and it's not just some hack job. It's all about the numbers after all. And what better way to switch to a couple of Iona Iotas focusing on, well, numbers. Let's hit them. Iona Iotas. We looked at some of Iona's Ken Palm data last time out. Now let's take a look at how the Mac is shaping up in Ken Palm. Yes, the Iona Gales are top the league in Ken Palm at 163, and the site currently projects us to go 13-7 and seven in the league and in, a, and in a tie for first with Marist and Canisius. The latter is currently number two in the MAC in Ken Palm, right behind Iona at 176. They're also the only team in the league with an offensive offense rated higher than ours, 168 versus 184. That's amazing given the offensive troubles Iona has endured this season. The aforementioned Red Foxes are third in the MAC at 216. Let's run through the rest as the MAC is not having a banner year. Mount is next at 231, St. Peter's 236, Fairfield 238, Quinney 243. So big grouping there. Uh, then we get to, well, the, the bottom four Ryder 282, Niagara 314, Manhattan 334, and Siena at 360. Sorry. I uh, love it. Anyway, uh, both St. Peter's and Marist are rated in the top 107 for defensive efficiency. Iona's third in that category at 156. Um, to summarize, the MAC is 26th out of 32 conferences, which actually isn't as horrible as you would think, uh, with a large gap actually from us to the other six conferences out there. Uh, in this order, the Ohio Valley, Southland, Patriot, MEAC, SWAC, and NEC in that order. Okay, so I think most folks believe that ChemFOM is a better rating system than anything else. However, the net ratings from the NCA is what he used by, used by the committee for seeding, so we really should take a look at that too. Be warned, this list looks a little different from ChemFOM. We start with Canisius at 129. We know the Griff's scheduled well and have had some success. They're 1-1 one one in Quad 1 games, 0-2 Quad 2, 2-2 Quad 3, and 2-1 and Quad 4. So a pretty balanced schedule in terms of mixing in some good challenges and some more beatable foes. We then have Marist at 151. The lesson here is that it's better to win a bunch of games against bad teams uh, and just than it is to schedule well. Anyway, um... The Foxes went 0-0 zero and zero in Quad 1 and Quad 2, 1-2 and two in Quad 3, and 6-2 and two in Quad 4 after their home loss to Lehigh. Iona's third jumping 21 spots with yesterday's win to move up to 166. 0-1 and one Quad 1, that's the Colorado game. 0-2 and two Quad 2, 3-4 and four in Quad 3, and 3-0 three and oh in Quad 4. Here's the rest of the MAC without the detail. St. Peter's is fourth at 179. Quinney at 184, Fairfield 211, Mount 232, and then the drop-off again, Ryder 304, Manhattan 309, Niagara 314, Siena 359. 
Going to throw some bonus numbers at you, too. You guys remember a ways back in this podcast, we featured Eric Haslam, the man behind Haslametrics, which is a Ken Palm-like alternate approach to predictive analytics. I do like the system as well. Quick rundown of the Mac there. Kinesis leads at 144. Iona's next at 160, then Marist 168, Mount 187, Fairfield 223, St. Peter's 236, Quinney 237, Ryder 282, Niagara 326, Manhattan 336, and Siena 360. So collectively, you see some themes for sure, but all of these analytics have our gales in the thick of things, which is the most important thing. It's going to be fun to see how this all plays out now that it's all Mac the rest of the way. Iona, Just want to set the table for everyone on the for for Iona women's team. The Lady Gales went five and four non-conference play. They now jump into MAC play like the men. Iona is zero and one in the MAC already with the home loss to Niagara before the holidays. Uh, just to give you a taste in how the MAC women's teams are shaping up in the net ratings, Fairfield top, tops the league at seventy-two. Then we drop all the way to one sixty-three, where Manhattan resides. Another hefty drop all the way to 220 where we find Quinnipiac. Then 226, we have Canisius, 254 is Siena, 259 is Iona. So the Max, Mac women numbers aren't pretty. Quick note on the Niagara team that handled us at Heinz. They are at 288, but they are pretty. They were played pretty much their whole non-conference without a couple of their best players. So if you all recall before the season, I had projected the Iona women as a team that had a good shot to finish out of the pig. I still think this holds true, and it's a legit goal for year one of the Angelo era. Let's see how that goes. It's all Mac all the time for both men and women now, but before we lock into that, we'll recap our non-conference finale at Harvard. So I was not able to attend this one due to a family commitment. Hey, it happens, people. I'm human. I got to watch the first half on, on uh, ESPN Plus, though, and I saw that our O reverted to pre-Colgate stylings, unfortunately. I had to follow only the score to the second half, and even with that, I saw the slog continue until suddenly it didn't down the stretch. So, of course, I watched the replay of the second half late last night. And, well, I did not have a Tobin Anderson technical foul in my bingo card as a reason for victory. His well-timed tee awoke the Gales from this slumber, and for the rest of the way, the team resembled what we did see against Colgate on both sides of the ball. A 47-42 deficit became a 69-57 lead over the next nine minutes of game time, so that's a 27-10 run, as Iona rallied for the 69-60 win. This was an important one to get. Harvard was without two key players, including potentially the national freshman of the year, Malik Mack but mustering what was necessary to get this done was vital for this team. The hot stretch run changed the offensive numbers quite a bit. Iona shot 38% overall and 70% from three in the first half, flipped that script uh, to make 50% overall and 57% from, from three in the second. Meanwhile, the Gales defense was solid in this one. Harvard shot 30% over, 37% overall and 24% from three. The star of this one was Greg Gordon. He was huge during the run, finished with 18 points and 12 rebounds. And Don Treitu, in his return to Cambridge, Mass, had 15 points and 5 rebounds. And Jeremiah Quigley, he was also big time during the push. He also had 15 points. 
So again, huge important win to wrap up non-conference. Some things to clean up. Remember versus Colgate, we saw great balance generated by the fantastic ball movement and the guys flowing without the ball. We did not really see that here until later in this one either. Um, as only the guys who can create their own shots like Gordon and, and Tritu and, and Quigley seem to be doing that. Not enough field goal attempts out of Shima or Brown or Panzo or Aaron Guren who was 3 of 3 from the field. Um, the team does need balance to succeed. There are no superstars here that can carry the team night after night. So a rough night from the line also uh, after some improvement there in recent games but 9 of 19 yesterday. Ew. So let's wrap up the non-conference story. The Gales finished five and six out of conference. I think the majority of Iona fans out there kind of had six and five on our sites as a target. So this is not far off of that. And it's fine really when you consider that we didn't have Oz for most of those 11 games. Iona is 0-4 overall and 0-3 out of conference in games decided by two possessions or less. You wonder if Oz's presence changes one or two of those outcomes. But alas, it's MAC time, people. The Gales will be diving into Jersey City to face St. Peter's on Friday, and, the, and their return home, return home for a special day at Heinz. Uh, more than that to come, as the Niagara Purple Eagles come in to New Rochelle Sunday afternoon. Let's take a look. Thing. I always fall back on St. Peter's for my hashtag MacAfterDark commentary on Twitter and on the Mac board. I mean, the second part of their nickname just lends itself to all sorts of childish banter and hey at age 54, I never grew up. Phallic-based humor is always going to be entertaining. Alas, I have to say it, the cocks are indeed rising. I like Bash Mason. I think he was the perfect replacement for Holloway in Jersey City. And his system, quite frankly, is similar in a lot of ways. He may not have St. Peter's prime for another eight, Elite Eight run, but he proved them to be plenty dangerous in the MAC thus far, surprising everyone by getting an ease, getting the win at Canisius uh, en route to a 2-0 league start last month. And they've been pretty consistent too. Other than an ugly loss at Rutgers, they've played well in games against teams that are quite frankly better than them. But their offensive woes have sometimes kept them from looking too good against the bad teams on their slate. Despite this, they're on a three-game winning streak. Hey, this is St. Peter's basketball. It's their identity, with a Ken Palm offensive rating ranked 321st in the country, but a defensive rating ranked 106th. Shocker, their tempo is 358th nationally. Sure, they're offensive offensively, but how about being ranked 16th in offensive rebound? How about being 72nd nationally in free throw shooting at 74.2% as a team? On the defensive end, they do everything right. I mean everything except one thing. They foul you a ton. 357th nationally in free throw attempts per field goal attempts. St. Peter's will rotate eight guys in fairly regularly with no one averaging 30 minutes per game on their roster. We'll start with 6'6 sophomore forward Corey Washington. He's averages 12 and 5. Two of those five are offensive rebounds per game. Then there's 6'3 senior guard Latrell Reed. He's averaging 11.5, four rebounds, four assists. Those guys are going to make free throws if you foul them. Next guy might be their most interesting player. Michael Hogue, a 6'7 junior Juco transfer, 
Uh, he's averaging 10.5 points, 6.5 boards. But of that 6.5, about 2.5 of them are offensive boards, and he's also drawing a lot of fouls that way. He does this in just 21 minutes a game, and he gets his money's worth, a ton of field goal attempts. So someone who can hurt you if you let him. Two other guys I want to mention, Armani Ziegler, brother of Zakai Ziegler of Tennessee. This 6'4 freshman is a great athlete. Modest stats at 6-3, and three, but another guy that makes things happen out there. Uh, also worth mentioning, Mohamed Sow, a 6'9 junior forward. Again, not huge averages, 4.5 points, 4.2 boards, but another beast on the offensive glass, averaging about 2.5 offensive boards per game. So the game plan on offense, we need to move the ball quickly and move well without the ball, much the same way we did versus Colgate and in the final 11 minutes against Harvard. Or... <laughs> You know what's going to happen then if, if it doesn't work out that way. Uh, we'll find ourselves just in another horrible shooting percentage game and a ton of turnovers and a total slog. Uh, we need to improve our, our we need to impose our will on the offensive end, and the way to do that is to play with the way we did against Colgate. Um, and they're going to spend their day putting us on the line if we do that. Um, on the defensive end, this is this is the time where all five guys got to hit the glass and keep them to one shot. Uh, because they seem to miss that first shot pretty regularly. Do these things and we should fare well. Otherwise, as we've seen, this group can quite easily hang an L on you, especially at their place. This game will most likely be a slog, make no mistake, but Iona needs to do its best to find its way out of the slog enough to escape Jersey City with the win. Gotta say, count me in among those who thought Niagara would be better than they've shown this year. I think Greg Paulus is a solid coach. He has a knack for finding guys who can fill it up. But this group is just so poor on the defensive end that it hasn't mattered. Let's talk about that first. Niagara is 332nd nationally in defense. They really don't do anything well on that side of the ball other than not foul you much. So Iona should be able to find its way to some points. On the offense, uh, they're the opposite of St. Peter's. This team doesn't grab offensive boards much, which isn't a good thing since they are 267th in two-point field goal percentage. But they do make threes to the tune of 37%, good for 59th nationally. And they make free throws 76% as a team, 31st nationally. And their turnover rate's pretty good, so they handle the ball pretty well. This could be a tough matchup at that end if our press isn't turning them over. They can make us pay with the deep ball and from the line at the other end if we don't disrupt their flow. One thing we've learned thus far this year, the Mac has a bunch of good freshmen, and one of the best is Ahmad Henderson II. 5'9 guard has been a nuisance, averaging 13 points, 34% from three, 80% from the line. Pretty exciting player if you haven't seen him. Then we have Yaa Bang Mensa, the 6'7 senior forward transfer from UMBC, averages 12 and 6. He's tough on the offensive glass, 81% from the line, nice player. How about another transfer? Luke Bumbleo out of Ball State, 6'1 grad guard, 10 points per game, 36% from three. Then there's 6'2 senior guard Braxton Bayless, 10 points per game, and seven. And then they have seven footer sophomore forward Harlan Obioa, uh, averaging eight and seven. He's our best offensive rebounder, so they've got some nice pieces to work around on that end of the floor. So the game plan, disrupt them offensively, don't let them get comfortable in their sets, or they'll hurt us. And on offense, exercise patience and simply take good shots. They're going to go in against this team. In a game, we should go way to win, which is especially nice, as this will be a very special day at Heinz. During halftime, we were raising the banner to celebrate the one and only Jim Valvano. 
recently inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame. Velvana becomes the second Iona Gale to have his name raised up to the rafters, joining Gale great Richie Guerin. So be sure to stick around for what will be a memorable, memorable halftime at Heinz and hopefully the conclusion of a 2-0 Mac weekend. And now, speaking of great memories, what will be a memorable, hopefully a memorable visit to this podcast as we welcome back our friend Jim Mazzano from the College Hoop Chat Podcast. If anybody who's been listening to this podcast for the last three plus years now, you know this guy. Uh, Jim Mazzano is back with us. Uh, you, you guys are going to remember that he had a radio show on WVOX called College Hoops Chat. It was, it was every Monday night at eight o'clock. Mm, that show doesn't exist anymore. Jim, what happened? <laughs> Hello, guy. Thanks for having me on your show. And a lot of frustration happened. So. Basically, a radio station that's been around for 50 or 60 years, maybe longer, just ended in about a week. Uh, I got a call from somebody that said, uh, did you hear WVOX is closing down? I was like, what, are you crazy? Like, uh, I never heard that. And literally the next day, I got a call from the station saying they were ending the nighttime version of the radio station. They were staying nine to five or something like that. And then about two or three late. Uh, about two or three days later, they ended that as well. And the uh, basically, uh, the you know, Mr. O'Shaughnessy owned that station uh, for like 50 years, and his kids tried to keep it going and weren't able to. I think that's the simple explanation. And selling it, the uh, property, and selling the rights to uh, the station's uh, places on the dial uh, allowed that, allowed those young people to make a lot of money mm. so why fight to keep it going when they could just walk away with a lot of money and that's literally what happened so wvox no longer exists and never will again and they're knocking down the building and building something else there so wvox wow. is over forever sadly, sadly because for, look we had it for college basketball we enjoyed it but it was a community radio station for lots of things, charity organizations, nonprofits, government, elected officials, everything. And it's all gone. It's very sad. Those are the kinds of things that bring a community together. No, I, I agree with you there. So you're that so you then took your your radio show, which was uh, you know growing, and you evolved it into a podcast. Um, how has that gone? What have been the benefits of doing it as a podcast versus a radio show? What have been the negatives to that as well? So the big positive with doing a podcast is you can schedule people whenever. So it's easier to get guests to come on the show because we can record 24 hours a day, not just between eight o'clock and nine o'clock on Monday night, like the radio show. But everything else has been a little more negative because it's a lot more work to do a podcast. So basically the way I did it was I did it live on the radio. Then I took this disc that I got from the radio station and I uploaded it as a podcast. And that was pretty simple. Mm. Now I have to produce a podcast. So beyond, besides just scheduling, which is a pain in the neck, getting guests and scheduling, 
Now I have to produce it. And as you know, uh, that doesn't take five minutes. It takes hours uh, beginning to end to properly produce a podcast. So a little frustrating, but we're, we're, it's gone well. I mean, I have you know hundreds of listeners, uh, so that's a good sign. But um, it's a lot of work. Yeah, and there's no doubt about it. And I, I've talked about this with other guys too, like Jaden Daly and Sam Fetterman and those guys who cover a bunch of stuff that I'm only covering one team. And, and you also you also kind of cover more than just one team. So it's actually more work for you because you have to keep up with more than I do. Um, so I'm a little more spoiled than you guys in that regard that I just have to worry about one team. Um, I agree. So, so speaking of that one team, um, the Anagales are through the through November and December sitting at six and seven. What did you think their record would be at this time? And what do you think of the, what you've seen thus far? Well, as we talked about before the show, I know I said to you at some point is either by phone or on one of these shows that if Iona could go into the January, January Mac session, six and seven, I thought they were in a good place. 12 new players, 13 players playing together for the first time brand new coach, brand new assistant coaches. We all knew it was going to take time to gel and come together. So if they could go six and seven with a pretty um, competitive non-conference schedule, I thought Iona would be in a great place. And I wasn't sure they would get there to six and seven. Mm -hmm. I figured Colgate and Harvard would be tough opponents and it'd be tough to beat both of them, but they did. And they played really great against Colgate and they played good enough against Harvard to win, although they got a little advantage that Harvard's best player wasn't on the floor. But nevertheless, it was a road game, and Harvard's a good team. And I own a six and seven, and that's what I was hoping for, and they're there. And I'm a little surprised, but very happy. Yeah, I mean, and and that's just it. I, I, I'll Full disclosure, I predicted us to be, at this point, seven and six and one and one. I actually thought we were going to lose at Fairfield. So I... Uh... We flipped that. We lost at Maris instead. Uh, lost to Maris instead. But yeah, I was off by one game. I exp I think a lot of Siona fans were kind of targeting six and five in the non-conference slate. So five and six. And when you consider that, with most of those eleven games were without Oz, um, I think it's just kind of about what we were anticipating, more or less. So, um, what have you seen of this team and their evolution? I guess in these two months. Again, culminating in these in, the, in this two-game winning streak, which is our longest winning streak of the year, against again pretty good teams. What, what have you? How have you seen this team evolve? So the defense is very good. I think Iona has become a very good defensive team, and if they can ever get this press to fully work, and you only see glimpses of the press playing well, um, sometimes even more than a glimpse, but sometimes. For most of the game, it doesn't seem to work that well. If they ever get the press to work the way Tobin Anderson wants it to, Iona's defense is going to be terrific. It's, it's I think, very good right now. If they can get the press uh, to work and to force the amount of turnovers they would like to get, I think Iona's going to be uh, the best team in the MAC if the press comes around and works like Tobin wants it to. Now, is that going to happen? I don't know. I mean, two months have gone by now and they have not got the press to that level. But of course, it's a brand new team. You know, when he went from Aquinas to FDU, he brought some of his players with him that knew how to play the press, knew how to play a system. When he came to Iona, 
He didn't have any of those guys. So it's going to take a while. It might take till February. All I want is that press to work by the MAC yeah. tournament. If that press works like FDU's press from last year by the MAC tournament, Iona is going to be a real threat to win the MAC and go to the NCAA tournament. But I I really think because it's such an integral part of Tobin Anderson's defensive scheme that they've got to get that press to really work, and it hasn't happened yet. I think you're right. And I think the other thing that's going to be a big difference and people don't realize this. I mean, I think they do, but you're going to see it materialize here. The teams that we were playing and we were trying to press uh, Colorado, St. Joe's, Hofstra, Charleston, um, even high point Long Beach day, both good teams. Uh, You know, when you press those teams and it doesn't work, those teams are good enough to make you pay. The Mac is filled with bad offensive teams that can't make you pay all the time. So the defense is going to generate more turnovers just by the fact that we're playing in the Mac. And even if it's not working, there are just, you you, you know, guys on St. Peter's aren't making wide open threes. They're just not because they're, they don't have the players to do it. Not to say that we're going to walk into St. Peter's and win automatically. That's it's, it's a league game. It's different, but you know, the, the Mac, these teams that we've beaten and even in the last couple of games, Colgate and Harvard, even missing two guys, for Harvard is still a pretty decent team. Um, all these teams that we've played are better than everybody in the Mac. There's a reason why Tobin put this schedule together and, and we got better as we went against it, you know, and, and yeah, you lost, you lost the bad game to St. Joe's and St. Joe's is a top 100 team. It's going to happen, but there's no top 100 teams in the Mac. You know, we're not going to, I don't think we have to worry about seeing that kind of firepower by anybody in, in, in Canisius is a good offensive team, but outside of that, the Mac is just filled with bad offensive teams. So bodes well for a team that just needs to generate turnovers and stops to get more energy on the other side. What do you think? Well said. I agree with everything you said. And the one thing I would add is the one thing about the press that has improved was the first couple of games early in the season, there were times where if the other team broke the press, they ended up with a layup Mm -hmm. too many times in the game. That doesn't happen as much now. Uh, If you watch the press now, if they can't force a turnover, at least they slowed them down. Uh, they're now about 20 seconds on the clock compared to 30 because they pressed a little bit. The team has less time to get into their offense, um, and they don't have these breakaway layups anymore with the press. So that's progress. That's positive. Uh, you very rarely see the breakaway layup now with Iona's press. So I'm sure Tobin's happy about that. But I agree with you. Uh, the Mac does have some offensively challenged teams. And I used to say last year, or the last couple of years with Iona, with the Rick Pitino press, when he was able to play the press uh, the way he wanted to, and Rick's press is great, like Tobin's press is great, when you can play it. Mm-hmm. It was like a free 10 points to Iona, right? When, when Pitino's press worked, it's plus 10 Iona. They got five buckets a game they didn't normally get because of the press. We haven't got that yet with Tobin. Maybe they're getting one or two right now. But if they could get to the point where they have five breakaways, layups uh, off the press, Iona's going to be in a really good place because the defense is generally good to begin with. And that's pretty much all 10 guys. You know, and I'm very encouraged that the two freshman guards are two of their best defenders. Yeah. Quigley and Aaron Gurren are two of the best defenders. So you have these graduate transfer guys who are pretty good defenders, rugged, 
played a lot of basketball in their life. But the two freshman guards, I think, have been critical to Iona's success so far. And and again, I think it just took, uh, you know, people saw us playing without Oz. And I think that changed how we looked. Um, and I think people got scared with the Marist game at home because it's like, oh, my gosh, Marist has been bad all these years. They came into our place and beat us. We're in trouble. Tobin's not doing a great job. And then all of a sudden, you know, a couple games will go by and, all of, you know, Oz gets a couple games under his belt. And then we run Colgate out of our building. So it's a big turn in about three weeks there, or, or yeah, just about three weeks that that happened. Do you see it the same way that, you know, not that you can just disregard the first half of that non-conference schedule, but hey, Oz wasn't there and you know he changes the game on both ends. Now we see what Iona could be, what, what we're seeing, what Colgate with down the stretch against Harvard. Um, do you feel like there's a difference now? Yes. I saw it in the Harvard game. There were several moments where a Harvard player thought he was going to make a drive uh, to the rim and then saw Oz there, seven foot with those long arms. And I saw him kind of pull out. I don't think he would have pulled out, you know, pulled back uh, outside and restarted the offense uh, if Oz wasn't there. So I do think Oz is a presence down low. And I do, I do think he makes a difference. He's got those long arms. He's, um, he's fast. He's a quick guy for his size. So he does make a difference. He still gets banged around a little bit, you know, because he's skinny still. And he's not uh, a big, strong, thick defender, uh, which is a problem for him sometimes. But he does make a difference. And uh, I'm certainly glad he's back. And he, when he hits two three-pointers in the second half to help you win the game, certainly Oz makes a difference. Yeah, and, this, and that's the thing. We've known this all along, and we haven't always seen it. This is an energy team. Um, and, you know, we, we saw energy in that Charleston game. Everybody remembered how we looked in that Charleston game. And we we're like, oh, wow, look at the energy. Look at the way we're buzzing around the court. And then we didn't see that again at all for a, quite a while. Um, and then the Colgate game, there was that energy again because Oz was feeling better. You know, he's back involved in the flow. The ball moved. Uh, people were cutting in the basket. You know, the, the paint wasn't as clogged up. No offense to Ottawale, but he's not Oz on the offensive end. And it changes how we play offense. And that translates to the press and that translates to defense. Um, then we didn't really see that much of yesterday until Tobin got a technical against Harvard. And then we saw the energy again and look what happened. Iona went on a, I think it was a 27 to 10 run almost a, uh, down the stretch of that game to, to take over. And I mean, that was Colgate all over again. And that's, I, I hope this team sees that energy is what makes them go. Um, it's hard to play like that every game, but you need to have chunks of that. Um, and that's that's where Oz is back. I mean, I, I saw on the Iona message board, some people were like, well, Oz only had six points. He only had one rebound yesterday. Imagine that. Oz is seven foot, only had one rebound. Um, he had a couple of assists, a couple blocks, you know, but he didn't, you know, and he only had six points, only took a couple shots. He wasn't that involved, but just being out there changes how we look on both ends. And I think he prompts a leadership out of the older guys. Uh, talk about some of those intangibles because uh, I feel like that this is almost an energy team and an intangibles team more so than straight X's and O's offense and defense. I think a lot of teams are like that. A lot of teams play off emotion. That's why the home court advantage matters so much. Certainly Iona, um, certainly when their defense is clicking, the offense all of a sudden gets better. So you're right. They are a team that plays with a lot of emotion. Uh, Tobin tells us in the press conferences that 
Osborne Shima speaks a lot to the other players. He's a leader on the court. I have seen that already. So he makes a difference, not just in size, but leadership. So I do think he makes a difference. But let's talk about the Tobin technical. Can we please? Because I'm <laughs> holding in my hands the notes that I jotted down during the game. It was 11.28 to go. Harvard was leading 47 to 42 when he got that technical. And not that was a heck of a technical. I mean, he went, went on the court 15 feet yes. yelling at the referees. Fully uh, intending to get a technical, without question. Yeah, clearly intended to get a technical and had the assistant coaches pull him back off the court. I mean, mm -hmm. it was to that level. It was a brilliant technical. It worked 100% without any question. You know, I'm sure I've seen it before, but I can't remember the last time I saw a technical work that well for a yeah. coach. Yeah. Sometimes they do it and it doesn't work. But they went on a 27-13 run for the rest of the game, mm -hmm. which is unbelievable. That's 11 minutes and 28 seconds. They took over the game 27-13, which, yeah. which is terrific. And that was what you're, that's what you're talking about here, Guy. The yeah. technical sparked more emotion. Um, Iona's defense got better. The offense got better. The team got better. They went on that 27-13 run, and they got a huge road win. Uh, non-conference road win against a team that, you know, has a shot at the NCAA tournament coming out of the Ivy. Yep. So I loved yesterday's game against Harvard. I think it was a game that really mattered for Iona, for confidence, and perfect game to win going to the MAC. And I'm very excited about the Iona team in the MAC. I don't know uh, what their record will be in, in the MAC. It's hard to predict. I think they could win maybe two thirds of the MAC's game, MAC game. Yeah. Mac games, and I think they will be a top four seed for sure in the Mac tournament based on what I'm seeing. And they have a shot at the NCAA tournament, they just have to keep getting better. Well, let's talk about the rest of the Mac a bit. Um, uh, and then we'll well, then we can focus a bit more on the two games this weekend coming up. But, uh, who's impressed you out of the Mac? Who has not been impressive to you out of the Mac? Well, I'm shocked that Siena is that bad. I mean. Siena's been a strong team as far as I can remember watching Iona, rooting for Iona and following the Mac. I mean, they haven't had a lot of the down years. They're always at least good. They're, they're bad this year. I mean, maybe they get better, but I don't know. They, you know, they're really low on Ken Palm. They're number 360 out of 362. I mean, mm -hmm. Siena's one of the worst teams in the country, at least right. on the athletics. So um, that's surprising. Niagara, I'm surprised about. I really thought Greg Paulus was turning that program around and it seemed like last year they were getting better uh, in the course of the year. Uh, but they're uh, three, 314 in um, Ken Palm and uh, not playing so well, four and eight. I thought they would be better. And of course, the biggest surprise, what well, let me, um, another major surprise is Ryder. Ryder was, predicted to be the best team and they're clearly not. Uh, so I don't know if they're going to get better and they just started slow, but Ryder's not playing well. And on Kempom, they're better 282, but still uh, Ryder is a team that's underperforming based on what we, I, not only we thought, but the coaches in the league thought. Yeah. And, and you know, those are the three, I think most people would pick as well for the teams that have disappointed Sienna should be a little bit better with Dura Gordon back. And they, you know, they played 
a better game against Brown and gave it away late. And then, you know, hung around at UMass, uh, which is a pretty good UMass team. So, I, you know, that, that team is going to be a little bit better in Mac play than I think they've shown. Um, yeah, I'm, I totally agree with you, Niagara. Um, they're just, they just can't stop anybody. Um, and then Ryder, I mean, I think they're the biggest disappointment I've seen in the Mac in a long time. They, not that they were, ex- I expect them to be world beaters, but I mean, yeah, like you said, they were picked first in the Mac and they don't even look like a team that's going to get out of the, out of the pig right now. Um, how about on the flip side, who, who's looked, who do you like right now in the Mac? Well, I do think Quinnipiac is a pretty good team. I don't know if they're a great team, but I think they're as good as Iona is, and they'll give Iona a tough game, particularly when we go on the road to play them. I think Marist already proved to us uh, that they're a pretty good team. I'm not quite sure what Marist is. They lost to Lehigh in their last game. I was a little surprised by that. But uh, they've got a good team, Marist, and I'm looking forward to having a second shot at Marist. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we can go play them pretty tough on their court, so... Uh, I think Iona is going to be excited to play Maris. They have another shot at them. St. Peter's looks pretty good, rugged, defensive, like uh, their history. And that'll be a tough game for Iona. And I guess the team that is very interesting is Canisius. They've looked, you know, look, they beat my St. Bonaventure Bonnies. <laughs> and um, that doesn't happen a lot. St. Yeah. Bonaventure is usually a better team than Canisius. Historically, they beat them a lot. So they had a really strong game against St. Bonaventure. I don't know if you saw the stats, but I think they shot like 50% from three in that game. So mm-hmm. most teams win when they shoot 50% from three. That was, that was the point I want to make before, Guy, about when you mentioned some of the Iona fans were down on the team when they lost to Maris. One thing with fans is you have to understand in the first two months of the season, teams are going to have clunkers. And this includes top 25 teams in the nation are going to have a clunker. They're going to have a bad night. Iona had a bad night against Maris. They played poorly in that game. It just happens. And it happens with some of the best teams in America. So I threw out the Maris game in my mind. They played poorly, but they have another shot at them at Maris. And I'm thinking Iona has a chance to win that game and uh, kind of at least break even with Maris. So calm down about the Maris game, folks. It was one game early in the season with a brand new team with a brand new coach. Um, I believe next time we have a good shot of beating Marist. I would agree with that. I, I do agree with you, your earlier take that the defense has gotten better as it's gone. Um, and especially now with Oz back, but the defense is settling in. The offense is going to be what it is. It's going to have its games where it just becomes a slog, like two thirds of that game yesterday, basically. Um, like the like the St. Francis game, like the Hofstra game, like the Marist game, where it just the defense holds you in it. The offense just struggles and this St. Peter's game coming up just already feels like that. Uh, you know, that that's, that, that's probably the best defensive team in the Mac, but it's a team that can't score. So I feel like we're going to be able to shut them down, but I think they're going to shut us down too. And this is a game that's going to be 55, 54, two minutes to go. I would be surprised if it's not, if it's not, it's because we played a hell of a game because I think that's going to be a tough place to go there and put up in the sixties against them. Um, I mean, like a 1970s era college <laughs> basketball game where teams yeah. routinely won 57, 55. Yeah. I mean, it, it just feels like that kind of game. I mean, I mean, do you feel, you agree? I mean, do you, I haven't sure. seen St. Peter's play high scoring games. <laughs> I mean, look on paper, you're right. But what we learn about this sport is that 
you never know what's going to happen in a game. You know, watch them go 75-72. I mean, like, yeah, right. college That's basketball's true. crazy. You know, it's hard to predict what's going to happen. You know, the Iona offense is frustrating to me because at times they move the ball well. Uh, not only move the ball well, but they're moving their bodies. Uh, ball movement, moving without the ball. They play nice offense. But that's like 25% of the game. And then like the rest of the game, the offense seems to get out of sync. And that's something I don't really understand as a fan, why they're so inconsistent on the offense. But I guess what saved them to some degree is their three-point shooting this year. Um, I just looked on Ken Palm. They're number 86 in the nation in three-point shooting. So that's pretty encouraging. I hope that stays for the season because it's bailed out sometimes when the rest of the offense um, isn't moving the ball very well. And they're kind of just standing on the outside and then somebody takes a forced shot. So um, I do think it's back to our prior conversation that so much of Tobin's strategy is playing fast, playing off the press, playing fast, moving the ball quickly. And when that all gets going, you do see it work. You do see Tobin's system work sometimes with Iona, but not consistently. And that's been a little trouble. Yeah, but we have seen it now. We saw in the the last quarter, I guess, of yesterday's game. And then the whole Colgate game, basically, or at least the first half of the Colgate game. So we're seeing glimpses of it and we didn't see glimpses of it before. So I'm definitely encouraged there. So, uh, you know, the St. Peter's game, we'll have to see how that goes. It's a rock fight against a good team in the Mac. We'll see what happens. It's a road game. There are no, there are no givens on the road in the Mac for sure. Um, Niagara at home, we should win. And we have a very special halftime for that game uh, as they raise the uh, banner for, for Jim Valvano. Um, you're a little bit older than me. Uh, maybe you, you can talk a little bit about Jim Valvano. So I saw Jim Valvano coach at Iona, which is pretty cool. He, um, he took them uh, to the Sweet 16 in the NCAA tournament when I was a junior in high school. And as you know, guy, I went to Iona Prep. And all the guys at Iona Prep rooted for Iona College at that time because uh, it was right down the street. And we all liked college basketball to begin with but we could go see a really high level team right down the street. So I went to a lot of Iona games in 79 and 80 with Jimmy V. And I, I remember going to a game guy when I was an altar boy, we had an altar boy class trip uh, to Iona college game, which was fun. Uh, But I don't think uh, Jim Vano was the coach then, but that's how long I've been going to Iona college games. It's the mid seventies. And uh, look, he built a team that was top 25 level in the nation. That's how good that team is. Vickers, uh, Middleton, Hamilton, of course, Jeff Rulin, Mike Palmer. That was a terrific basketball team. They could beat top 25 teams, no problem. And it's incredible that he built that in New Rochelle, New York, that small Iona College. And, you know, he really took the program national, put Iona basketball on the map, never had reached those heights prior to Jim Valvano. He's the historic coach of the program. Um, his influence still matters to this day. I will tell you guy, when I went around uh, with my son to look at colleges and said, we were from New Rochelle, they knew I own a college basketball. Mm-hmm. Now I own a university basketball and that's from Jimmy V and Pat Kennedy back to back. A lot of victories, a lot of great basketball, NCAA tournament appearances. And, you know, Tim Cluse then took it back to another great place after them. So, Iona's had a lot of times of great basketball, basketball that people around the nation noticed. Uh, but it all started with Jimmy V, with that tremendous basketball team he built. 
and they were great. I mean, going to watch those games back then, uh, that 1980 team was terrific. That beat Louisville at the Garden. You know, their kryptonite was Georgetown. Hmm. You know, Georgetown was a pain in the neck that year to Iona, and they kind of ruined the season, frankly. The two losses to Georgetown really devastated Iona's season. And, of course, they lost in the Sweet 16 to Georgetown. Um, I really believe had Iona beaten uh, Georgetown and they were in a Final Eight, anything could have happened with that team. That's how good they were. And uh, and Rulin was an NBA-level player leading the team. So Jimmy Valvano is an historic coach. And uh, I'll never forget what I saw back in 79 and 80. It was great college basketball in my hometown in Nourishia. Jim, that was an absolutely perfect uh, wrap-up for this uh, visit from you on this podcast. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to Sunday as well. I'm, I, I, Jimmy V, of course, was before my time, but uh, all I've heard was some great stories from folks like you, so it's going to be fun for me to watch fans like you enjoy that moment uh, where they raise the banner up into the rafters. Jim, thank you again for coming on. Any parting thoughts for Gale Nation as we wrap up here? Just have confidence that they're going to have a solid season in the MAC. They're not going to win every game, but I do think they'll position themselves to be a top four seed, to be careful uh, going into the MAC tournament. And if Tobin has them playing that defense and press as we hope they can, uh, Ione has a shot to go to the NCAA tournament. And if that happens, what a tremendous season this was. Okay. Thank you so much again, Jim, for visiting. Happy New Year to you and your family. And we'll see you all next time. Thanks a lot. Happy New Year, guy. Thanks again to Jim Mazano for joining the podcast once again. It's Mac time, people, and the road to Atlantic City starts now. We all know this league is as unpredictable as it gets, so it's not going to be short on drama around these parts. Let's get to it. Go Gales. Thank you for listening to this edition of the IonaHoops.com podcast. This podcast is a production of IonaHoops.com with publisher Guy Filatico. The opinions shared during this podcast are those of Guy Filatico, IonaHoops.com, and any featured guests. This podcast is not affiliated with Iona University Athletics or the university itself. Thank you for supporting IonaHoops.com.